Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Filmmakers on the Cutting Edge from CreativeSpark.ai, where we have conversations with filmmakers who use or create cutting edge technologies, tools, and workflows to be more creative and productive. I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin. If you want to get a hold of me, just email me, Marcelo at CreativeSpark.ai. Also, remember to check out CreativeSpark.ai for more podcast episodes and tutorials. Finally, if you're watching this on YouTube, please remember to subscribe to our channel and click that bell icon to get notified when a new episode is out. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button. If you didn't, send me an email and tell me why. Now, today's episode is all about what filmmakers need to know about volumetric capture with the co-founder and creator of Volograms, Rafa Pages. So without further ado, let's bring Rafa in. Hi. Hi, Marcelo. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, sir? Very good. Very good. Now, I always ask all my guests where they're located because I have a worldwide audience and worldwide guest always. So where are you located currently? So I'm currently in Madrid in Spain, although Volograms, my company is Irish and we're based in Dublin. Oh, wow. Okay. So how did that happen? So are you originally from Spain and moved to Ireland or how, how did that happen? Yes, it was exactly, uh, exactly like that. So I did my PhD in Madrid and, and Spain. And when I finished, I went to work at Trinity College in Dublin. Um, so I was there in Dublin for a year and a half also or so when we decided to create Volograms to spin out. So that's why Volograms has its origin in, in Dublin, in Ireland. Although the three co-founders, Costas, Jan and I, we are a Spaniard, a Greek and a Czech guy, you know, like uh, all the three of us. Immigrants. The UN, you got the UN right there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so you said you had a PhD. Tell us a little bit more about your background. How, what was the PhD on? How did you get into technology? How did you get into volumetric capture? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I did engineering. Um, I did, um, well, in, in Spain, it was called telecommunications engineering, which is basically like a mix between electrical engineering and computer science. And, um, and when I was finishing, I had uh, done my uh, specialization in image processing and signal processing in general. And I started getting attracted about 3D graphics, 3D reconstructions, and stuff like that. So when I started my PhD, I continued specializing in, in that field, which is typically computer vision, right? Like understanding uh, the shape and the structure of the world just by looking at images. And uh, so I did all my PhD about how to get the body of a person from different sources, like uh, multiple cameras, depth sensors, and stuff like that. And actually, that was the, let's say, the origin of my story and how I ended up uh, building Volograms uh, a few years after. So tell us a little bit about uh, Volograms, like um, the, the how, how did you, what made you create it and, and what makes it a bit different than any uh, others? Yes, so uh, Volograms, as I said, is a spin-off from Trinity College in Dublin. So we were in, in Dublin and we were working on technologies to try to simplify the content creation process for virtual and augmented reality. Uh, I think the first iteration that we had about um, what then became the core technology of Volograms was trying to replicate the matrix bullet, bullet time shot. You know, if you remember when Neo jumps yep. and the camera moves around, we were trying to replicate that with, uh, uh, instead of doing it with 100 cameras in a green screen studio, the cameras placed in like a ring. Uh, we were trying to do that with five cameras, uh, outdoors, uh, smartphones, you know, so handheld, some of them portraits, some of the landscapes. So we were trying to um, to create like a very challenging scenario because that's the typical thing that you do when you're in research, right? You try to make it very, very right. complex and try to get something out of that. So to be able to go from one camera to the other to make that fake movement of the camera, 
um, we, as the cameras were so separated, we were only using like five or six, we needed to build a 3D reconstruction process that would be able to get, give you the, the shape of the person to help this view interpolation process. In the, in the case of the matrix, you didn't need to do that because the cameras were very close to each other, right? So, but in this case, they were very far. And it turns out that the 3D reconstruction algorithm that we built that was only working with five cameras at that point was actually pretty good. So we started getting a little bit of interest from other universities, from uh, some of the technology companies that are uh, located in, the, in Ireland, which are actually all the big tech, uh, to do collaborations, to do some research together and stuff. So we saw there might be an opportunity here to spin out. So we ended up creating the company and, and building Volograms. And the very first thing that we did was putting together a volumetric capture studio that was only using 12 cameras. While at that time, for instance, Microsoft Mixed Reality Capture Studios was, was using 106. So that give, gives you an idea of- um, That's a huge much. difference. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and that that's the key differentiator that we have. So the key so the key to Volograms here, and we're going to jump in and, and talk more about volumetric capture, but it's that you're using less cameras and your algorithm is is what uh, is rebuilding all of this, basically. Yeah. So and actually- yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, and actually we, we try to, since we started, push that to the limit, right? And, and yeah. at the beginning we were using- 12 cameras or trying to adapt ourselves to whatever our clients had. But in, in nowadays, what we're doing is using a full AI solution that uses one single camera. So it's Okay, a, that's it's what I was going to ask you, actually. <laughs> What's the least amount of cameras? So now you got it down to one camera with the algorithm using AI to basically rebuild the whole thing. Exactly, yeah. So we've trained a neural network to learn how the shape of a person is just by looking at that person from one single angle. So you don't need to walk around the person or use multiple cameras, just one single video. So even from one angle, so you don't need to go all around. Interesting. Exactly. Um, so who's the target audience here? Are we looking at low, low budget, no budget? Or mm -hmm. I mean, who, who's, who's going to be using this? So what we, what we thought is, of course, when with volumetric capture, um, what you get is a lot of people building mostly immersive experiences, right? Because it's uh, the assets are amazing for virtual reality, augmented reality, this type of creations. We have a lot of filmmakers, also visual effects. Uh, but when we started, when we were pushing it farther, what we were trying is to get everyone into a 3D creation pipeline, right? So the same way that almost anyone can now record a video, edit the video, publish the video, monetize it without needing to be like a professional filmmaker and, then, and everything that you're doing actually contributes to that. Uh, so we wanted to help with the 3D environment, the 3D pipeline, right? That's the th visual effects part of it, the virtual production part of it, which is still relatively complicated. So most of our users are still, let's say, creators, but now we can address also creators uh, that are significantly more humble, let's say, than the big production. So we're bringing this technology to a lot more people. When before you needed to have like a relatively big budget or, or yeah, or right. a lot of hardware. <laughs> Well, and this is what I love about what's happening today with cutting edge technologies is that um, beyond how cool they are is they democratize, right? They're, they're lowering the barrier to entry for all of us, right? To be able to use the technology that at one time you needed 150 cameras through Microsoft, right? To do this and tons of money. Now you could be here in the studio with one camera and you're done. So let's jump into, um, we spoke a lot about um, volumetric capture, but let define that, explain what that is, when is it used, and how is it different than just filming typical filmmaking techniques? Yes, so volumetric capture or uh, volumetric video capture, if you want to be more specific about this uh, this side, 
is a way of recording people or performances performers uh, from a full 360 environment. I would even say not even 360, like a full 3D environment. So the idea is that you're able to get every single aspect of them. You can change the viewpoint and see them from behind, from the top or whatever. So you're generating 3D assets, like a 3D mesh from a video game, but in this case as a sequence. So the key difference that you have when you're doing filmmaking is that um, normally a, a director or a, or a producer decides what's going to be the shot that you're going to take. So you're going to record the actor from this angle with this lighting, etc. With volumetric capture, you record the 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 you're the performer from every angle, potentially, as many angles as possible. And then you put together this asset where you can actually then reshot from whatever perspective that you wanted. You can do fake camera movements. You can do essentially whatever. So it gives you the freedom of being able to choose what are you going to do after doing the capture. So which is it's very powerful and and it's a uh, it's very powerful for film filmmaking, but it's fundamental, you know, for other technologies where you are totally free to walk around, and that's why it is so popular with virtual reality and augmented reality, where you need the content to be fully three D and to fully interactive with the environment that you're in. You said something interesting. You said um, full three D, not three sixty. So I want to make sure people understand the big difference, right? Then between a three sixty where you're in the center and you're not moving. Right and full 3D. Can you can you explain just a little bit more on that? Exactly. Yeah. So there's uh, the technical definition, I guess, that it would be uh, the three degrees, degrees of freedom versus the six degrees of freedom. But I I like to explain it in a different way. So uh, as you said, typically when you record a 360 video, you have a camera or multiple cameras that are point are facing outwards. Right. So you have the camera in the center, and then you have different different lenses. In some cases, two lenses only that are pointing you know, into opposite directions. So you can combine together like some kind of panorama you know, of the whole scene. When you're doing volumetric video capture, you're actually doing the opposite. So you typically have the performer in the center and all the cameras are in some kind of cage, dome, studio, pointing inwards. So you, what you record is what's in the center and you don't record the environment. So normally the, the process is actually recording the actors in an isolated way. You don't record them, you know, in the environment where they are. So that's why uh, when I was saying 360 earlier, I meant all around, but I know that it can be confused with 360 video, which is a completely right. different technology. So in this case, you're capturing somebody and then you can totally move, get closer, go farther, get that person and put it in a different rendering environment. So that's why they are also so popular for virtual production and visual effects. Now, explain a little bit about volumetric capture and its main uses. I mean, when you're capturing, you're capturing the object, the person, whatever it is you're capturing, right? That's mm -hmm. all you're, like in a 360 video, you're capturing everything, the background, the whole thing, right? So, and then the person in the goggles can can see what's going on. But in volumetric capture, it's different. So what are some of the main uses for volumetric capture? In yeah, I think, yeah, so I, I would say that um, when you're building a movie, if you're doing volumetric capture, it's because you have assets that you are still not sure how you're going to be, how they're going to be shot, you know, or either because you don't know, or because you want to actually have many different shots of that that typical asset. So they're still not regularly used for like the main characters or something like that. They're mostly for background characters and and uh, and for some uh, visual effects shots. Uh, but it gives you the possibility of um, you know. You have a couple that are having a coffee behind the main actor and you say, okay, let's move the, the couple 
20 centimeters to the right. So you don't have to shoot it again and just move them <laughs> because they are 3D assets in right. your environment, right? So I think that um, it gives you the flexibility and the versatility, versatility of being able to do edits in your shot that typically you wouldn't be able to do unless you want to shot again and shoot again and shoot again and shoot again until you're ha very happy with what is the composition and the result that you want. So for instance, it was used in... Um, in the recently in the Whitney Houston movie, um, they used it to fill in like a virtual fake st stadium with extras, right? So they shot the extras in the first few rows as real people, but everyone else were, who else were actually volumetric capture of people because they could replace them, move them around, they could multiply them a hundred times. So in this case, it was very useful because then you, you can do many different types of shots while keeping the first few people very realistic and everyone else being totally virtual. But um, and what I want the the audience to to guess to or to understand is that what you get is actually very high quality three D models with very detailed you know characteristics. It's not it's not equivalent to a, a game character like a three D avatar or something like that. When sometimes they move a little bit awkwardly and they are a little bit uncanny. In this case, you're recording a person as they are performing. So if you get somebody speaking, you will get that person speaking as they are with all the little facial muscles and everything, all the little quirks that you get from a from a normal performance. So it is really good for recording performances because it's a lot more natural than actually animating a, a character, an avatar, you know, with a typical rig that you will get and right. point, points in your face and things like this. So from let's go back to the example of the um, the Whitney Houston movie where they did a crowd, right? Now you said they shot some kind of kind of like crowd uh, um, uh, creation where they duplicated all these people they just shot, right? How do they make that random? How how does that work in in post production? In other words, what I mean is, how do you make it where you 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 as an audience don't look at him and go like, wait, th that person back there looks like that person over here with the same clothes <laughs> and do you know what I mean? The same movement yeah. they've done. So uh, you have to keep in mind that in this case, it was audience, everyone was just jumping and cheering and so on. So you get uh, the very first thing is that it, it's a temporal sequence. So this means that you can actually misalign this temporal sequence and the same person might look completely different being mm -hmm. in a different position if they are right. doing a different movement. That's the first thing. Um, so the second thing is that it allows you to do post-processing also. So you can change sometimes the color of the clothes, you can change slightly um, some of the of the materials of the model. So uh, under certain lighting conditions, it might look completely different. And of course, you also have the, let's say, typical scaling thing. You can just randomize the, their positions. And it's very difficult to the natural eye to identify that a person in the left side of the frame and the, uh, that person in the right side, but also in the back is actually the same person. So it looks very realistic at the end. And, and in this case, as I said, it was just to fill in like a full audience. But in some cases, it's used for somebody that's reading the newspaper right behind the, behind the main character, you know? Right. Um, and uh, and there's one use case that I really like, which is the, the virtual production one, you know, with these LED walls now. Uh, so you get everything is digital and everything has to be 3D. So um, if you think about, I don't know, the Mandalorian, one of these shots, so you get the actors dressed up inside and then whatever you see in the, in the LED wall, normally they're backgrounds, right? Because you have that 3D version of those backgrounds. So if you want to put a real person there, you have to have a 3D version of that person. So typically they don't do it because it's it's actually expensive and complicated to have to get 3D a person scanned, naturally rigged, um, you know, getting all the all the costumes and everything. While if you do it with volumetric capture, you just record once and you can, you can just put that person whatever you want and they can be totally naturally moving. 
So it's uh, it's starting to get very popular when you want to have actually real characters in the back because then you move the camera, the LED wall reacts as with the movement of the camera. Yeah. Exactly. And if there's a 3D asset there, it, it results natural. So you can actually put also people in the background in, in, in this type of uh, scenarios, which um, until not too long ago, you would never see characters in the background. inside the background right and we have a whole um, podcast about virtual production but what we're talking about here is in unreal engine you have a, a real 3d world basically that shot that is played through a volumetric screen right a volume screen uh, led screen uh, behind and the actors are in front of it basically acting and it can react to it so you're saying that typically you only see uh, scenery and you don't see people within there but with exactly. 3D, uh, with volumetric capture, you can actually put people in there and react. So the virtual, the the digital humans are reacting to the real humans. Yeah, exactly. And and you would get um, normally the background characters there. So I think that the only except, exception of things that you probably have seen in the background is in this case, stormtroopers or things like right. that. You know, they're wearing a helmet. They're anyway not actors. They might be just always gen uh, a, uh, like a 3D generated. Right. So in those cases, it doesn't matter. But if you want to have a real person, it has to be very, very real and very natural. And for that, it actually works really well. Yeah, interesting. So um, how does a filmmaker decide when to shoot volumetric? So if they're looking at a script and they're deciding all the shots and stuff. What's, when do they, how do they go through the process of deciding this should really be a volumetric capture mm -hmm. so then we can manipulate it later? Yeah, I think I think it's um, the, the, this, this is still being defined because it's a relatively new tool, you know, and that most of the people that have used this type of tool is because they wanted to use it in VR or in AR. So the the, the filmmaking industry is now starting to get getting used to these type of shots. So I think it's when uh, you're going to be shooting into a, in a very virtual environment. So you know, if you're going to be using like a massive green screen or or a virtual production shot. And you're not very sure exactly about what is the composition of the scenes going to be. Uh, so in that, in those cases, um, I think it's interesting to, um, to go think about recording some people volumetrically and then place them afterwards. Uh, so you don't have to, um, you can play a little bit more and it, it might happen, for instance, with a lot of uh, VFX shots, right? Where you, where you have half people and these people are normally 3D models, but in this case, you can composite them with a more realistic view. So it also allows you to to do a lot of the prototyping, let's say, of what would be the final look that you're going to have. So you can get the actor, do the volumetric capture of them while they're recording something, and you can build a full VFX pipeline before you actually get the the day of the recording with the, with the proper actor there. So there's different things where you can use them for, but I would say that Typically, it's more when you when you want to have different options when compositing your final scene, and when you are recording in environments where almost everything is virtual. Yeah, definitely. So at that point, when they decide, okay, we got to do volumetric capture, um, there's a lot of technology, right? There's like you mentioned, the 150 cameras from Microsoft all the way down to holograms, right, with one camera. Like, what do you choose? I mean, I, I know part of it is budget, right? Depending. Yeah. Like, what makes the huge difference between going to a Microsoft uh, studio where you have 150 cameras or using, let's say, the holograms? Like, what, what are some of the technical things that people should be looking into to decide which one to use? Should I spend a bit more money? Is it a quality issue? What, what makes one different over the other? 
Yeah, I think you have, you have different things. So the, the example of Microsoft or some of the other big studios, uh, I think it's interesting because it's not only a matter of quality, it's also a matter of uh, of uh, convenience, you know? So if you're recording in, in LA, you have all the resources in the world, uh, multiple volumetric capture studios because there's a whole industry there. But what happens if you, if you are recording in, in Romania, you know? Because in that case, you either shoot your characters in LA or in London and so on, some of the other places, or you basically cannot do it. That's a decision that you will have to do. There's not that many options that are realistic in terms of mobility, so that you could bring your volumetric capture with you. I mean, the ones that are probably don't meet the quality standards. So I would say that if you're going to do like a feature film, then you typically will go with high-end, which those will give you the higher resolution, and typically you will have to plan it ahead. Um, what we've seen is that the smaller studios are sometimes used a lot for the prototyping, you know, for building the scene to understand exactly how you're going to build your scene, especially in the game engine, right? Because you're using the game engine then to do your VFX or the Unreal Engine in, the, in this case, or to the virtual production. And in those cases, you can use one of the smaller studios that maybe you have uh, that is a bunch of Kinects or real sensors that you put together, or you can even use the phone solution where you record somebody while speaking or doing something. And then you very easily in a few minutes have it ready to be integrated and ready for the prototyping. So I think that the whole spectrum of uh, volumetric capture solutions can be used in a different part of the pipeline. But uh, for the final asset, I think most of the time you would always go to a Microsoft for DBU Studios because those are the ones that give you the, the highest quality. Right. So it sounds like, for example, Volograms and uh, more of the lower end, not low quality, but just lower end in, in cost, we're looking more for prototyping, previs, uh, for that, right? To prove proof of concept kind of thing. And then when you're ready to to shoot the final, if you're going to Netflix or whatever, you're going to have to go to um, a much higher end capture. Exactly. Studio. Yeah. And unless you're building, um, so at Volograms, we'll focus mostly in, let's say, creative experiences. So more than films, because we know that that's actually where you have a little bit more variability into building things that work real time that don't need to, like the post production or anything like this. But still, we we have uh, several users that actually use it for prototyping their experiences and and putting them together very quickly at a very low cost, and they can decide making let's say directors' decisions based on on the prototypes that they put together. So um, what are some of the challenges once they, they, they're good, they decided to do volumetric regardless of high end or low end? What are some of those challenges that come with, along with this? Like, yeah, so resources, technical, all that. Yeah, I think, I think um, shooting volumetric has its own challenges, of course, um, as just normal shooting, I, I guess. But uh, I think that they are mostly regarding the, the materials, the clothing that you're, you're wearing, and, and of course, like... Uh, the budget also. So I would say that some of them are technical, uh, like for instance, um, very dark clothes or, or clothing that have very, very little texture. It's typically complicated for, for these type of algorithms. Uh, things that are shiny or that are transparent, typically also very complicated because these are computer vision algorithms. So they look for correspondences in images and things that are shiny typically don't have a correspondent because they look in a different color from a different view. So those work really badly. And the last thing would be uh, very thin structures. So this means that, again, you need to find correspondences between different images. 
So if you have something as, as small as, um, I don't know, a little thread of hair, something like that, then in those cases, you probably are going to get it badly. And then it's going to cause like a visual impact in your final results. So typically when you're doing volumetric shot, you will use all of hairspray <laughs> to make sure that they are not like a, um, a thread of hair going. Sometimes in the, the, the hair might be put in a, a hairstyle that it's not very crazy. You can always play from a creative point of view into just let it go and see what happens, you know? Right. But uh, yeah, but we've, we've seen examples where um, a really good capture with a really good script and all gets a little bit bad because there was a, there was not enough preparation in terms of what you can or cannot do, right? So it sounds like this will impact the production side quite a bit. In other words, how they're dressed, the, the hair do, right? Even maybe the makeup. Um, so does that mean that you really, if you decide to do this, even if you're using the one camera with holograms, right? You need somebody that understands the, the challenges and the limitations of this before they jump ahead and, and do this? I would say so, yeah. And I, the good thing is that there's uh, plenty of resources about the, the do's and don'ts and what are the creative limit, limitations that you have. And I think that's all the big companies, in, uh, you know, the small ones, like all of us have our, let's say, capture guidelines, you know, things that you have to take into account, which then you can ignore and decide to go ahead and, and take, make and an a shot and see what happens. Yeah, and, ma and make an artistic decision. So right. there's a few, there, there's a good example. There's a company, um, there, there was this movie, it was called Demonic by uh, Neil Blumkamp. Uh, so in, in this, I don't remember exactly what was the plot, but there was like, a, I think somebody who is in the hospital or something, and there's sometimes that you're digging into her memory something like that and everything that is going in her memory is actually captured volumetrically so it has an aesthetic you know that um has a little bit of a like noise because it was not one of the highest end studios yeah and they use that in a very they use that way. to to so exactly. you as the audience know you're now in her memory as opposed to in reality exactly so you see errors sometimes you see a little bit of noise it's screeny but it's part of the you're in but you accept it because you know exactly. that's the world you're in at this time Exactly. And, and I think that's an interesting uh, artistic uh, point. And then this was um, a couple of years ago. So I, I think that if they had wanted to do it uh, very high end, they could have. I think they, this was an artistic decision. Well, and I think that's an excellent um, example of how to use the limitations of a technology towards telling a story, right? So instead of saying, no, let's not use it because of that, let's see, let's use it to tell this part of the story. And it Make becomes accepted. Yeah. That makes exactly. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, um, from a post production, we talked about production. From a post production perspective, how is that affected? I mean, when you capture, when you're capturing, are you capturing video? Are you capturing data? Um, and how does that affect post production? Yeah. So the um, the capturing process, or let's say the the, the type of assets that you that you create are most similar to what you would get in a video game that you would, you would typically get in a movie. So they are not video clips. They are actually 3D meshes. So normally the output of volumetric capture is a sequence of 3D meshes. So the same way that you have, let's say, each frame of a video could be considered an image. <laughs> um, in this case, for a volumetric video, each frame of a volumetric video is actually a 3D mesh. So typically the assets that you receive are compressed and encoded in a way that they are lightweight. They use, uh, they make use of the correspondences you get from one frame to the next. Um, so this means that they're not easy to manipulate in traditional uh, editing tools, not even in sometimes in the game engines. So the 
all of the um, uh, volumetric capture studios would have their own ways or their own plugins into Unreal Engine, into Unity, so you could actually put the assets and manipulate them. There's also tools that would allow you to manipulate them farther. So for instance, say that, I don't know, you, you have a ponytail and it's moving in a certain way, but for a creative uh, point of view, you want it to move in a different way. So you can actually get the, the, the vertices and the triangles from your 3D mesh and move them in a different direction or make it something that makes it even more interesting. You can, if you have multiple shots, you can combine them. So you can slightly move the arms and legs and, and body of the, of the character to make sure that it aligns with the following frames. So you, this means that you can build very long sequences, even though they might have been captured independently. And, and that's actually very interesting. There's a company called Arturus that has a, this software, it's called Holosuite, and it allows you to do all this editing, which is great. And, and not only that, so um, if you were to do like an immersive experience, VR experience, it would, they will allow you to get the actor to follow you with the gaze, you know? Even though the actor, of course, was recorded in a studio, was not looking at anyone in particular, but they can slightly modify the head so it always looks at the at the person that is experiencing it, which creates like a very very personal uh, connection, let's say. But once you have these the shots in in um, like all composited, edited, and so on, you export them and you put them into the game engine that you're going to be using for building your experience. You can of course always export the sequence of meshes and then put it into Cinema 4D or or some of the other like uh, more cinematic tools. Um, but I think that game engines right now are the ones that are better at handling this type of data. So what what type of story genre sh we, sh we shouldn't even consider volumetric capture? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think it's it's the... Or we're getting to the point with the technology that really you, it's for everywhere you can use it, even if you're doing a corporate video. Actually, corporate reviews are very popular for, <laughs> for okay. polyphometrics. So, I mean, it, you wouldn't use it for a corporate video on its own, but you could use it for a corporate VR experience or AR experience, you know, where you have a, a hologram of a person popping up. And uh, that actually is extremely popular. We even built a product just around that, you know, just to, to give you an idea. Um, I, think, I think we are, probably you have to be careful with things that have a lot of action. You know, because in, if you have a lot of movement and you have to run or or fall from somewhere, then this means that you are going to need a relatively big volumetric capture volume to be able to get as many details as possible. So I think those are the ones that are still a little bit off limits. You can still get like uh, fight scenes and stuff like that because the high end captures would allow you uh, capture studios would allow you to do two or three people at the same time. But you're starting to push the limitations of what the technology can do because then higher the number of people and elements that you have in the scene, the higher the possibilities of getting occlusions, which is basically that there's a part of the whatever is happening that no camera is able to see. And if, if no camera is able to see, then you depend on how smart the algorithms are to fill in that information, right? And in some cases, it can be good, but in some other cases, it can be terrible. <laughs> do you feel that that will change with how prevalent AI is now? Um, do you think that's going to change in the future yeah. and, and get to the point where you're just not going to have to worry about uh, that? Yeah, I think so. I think you can you can always um, do like an overkill, right? And add more cameras and more points of view, and to get a, a bigger studio, a bigger capture space. So that that's one thing that you can solve. But I mean, that it depends a lot on where are you going to be doing the capture. And I think yeah, the AI is actually changing many of the things. Like uh, uh, typically, you will get diffuse materials in in your three D meshes when you were doing this, which means that you 
could not easily relate them. You can relate them if it's, um, I don't know, my t-shirt and normal clothing. But if you have something shiny, it won't uh, look as, as it should look. However, there's already like a few AI algorithms that allow you to retrieve this material information. And then when you change the lighting and it has to shine, it will shine, you know, which is, um, I think, many of the little steps that have been taken in the community and the research community to to try to make this technology more and more interesting not only more affordable but also more versatile um so one thing we didn't touch upon which i think is extremely important uh, is the actor itself right it's the um do you need to get an actor that understands volumetric capture and because they need to act differently in front of that camera or uh, can anybody just do it, basically? Any actor that's already uh, familiar with acting? I would say that any actor can do it, um, but it, it is it is true that it, it is a little bit challenging, you know, in the sense that um, in many cases, they will be alone in the studio while they are doing the capture. So, uh, of course, uh, the director can see, typically from a screen outside, communicate with them. But in I think in some cases, it looks more like theater <laughs> than actually... Uh, cinema, you know, because you when you're in the theater, you're not looking at anywhere in particular. You know, you're you're acting. You don't have a camera. You don't have to be aware of where the camera is or something like that for a specific angle. In this case, it's more or less the same. You just perform, in, and you don't even have to. You don't look at a camera if you don't want it. Uh, you just look at the emptiness, <laughs> and because uh, then it's manipulated later in post. The, yeah, the camera I mean, movement. Exactly. So there, you don't know exactly how you're going to put it afterwards. How you're going to put the camera. So the right. things that you are you're acting, it's it's more natural in the sense. It's more like theater. You know, theater. You could say that there's a camera in every one of the audience. <laughs> every person in the audience that's a camera. So here's a little bit the same. You you don't have a specific camera that you have to pay attention to. Um, so if, if you think more about how you prefer, you would prefer a theater play more than a movie. I think that's uh, that's how you would do it, but I don't think you need to be a specifically like a volumetric uh, capture actor or something like that. I think anyone can do it, and we've worked with actors that uh, had never done it, and they were not totally natural because they understood what what we what it meant, and they would just do it perfectly fine. And at the same time, we've also done with actors that were more used to. TV or things like that, and and they will be totally confused about being on their own and not having like somebody to cue them, uh, like visually, which is interesting. Yeah. There is uh, like a mocap uh, performer, right? Uh, that people specialize in that. How is that different? So how is mocap different than volumetric capture, or is it? Yeah, yeah, it's it's very different. Although I think there are fields that are, are somehow interconnected, right? So when you do motion capture, you basically are wearing a suit. Uh, normally has like some balls and lights uh, inside, and these these uh, balls and, uh, and and little lights or LED lights they are tracked by a lot of cameras. So you have to. I think the interesting thing about the mocap actor, and I, I'm not a mocap actor, so who knows if I'm saying stupid things right now. <laughs> but is that you have to you have to be wearing that weird suit. Sometimes you're wearing also like a camera pointing at your face and so on. And pretend that there's nothing there, you know? And pretend that you're wearing maybe a huge armor that is very heavy and you, you're not wearing anything. You're or you're a monster you know? or whatever you're going to be. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So that that's very challenging because you're not only pretending to be somebody from a personality point of view, but it's also the physicality that goes with it. Um, the good thing about volumetric capture is that you record whatever you see. So if you're wearing like extremely heavy suit, uh, armor or whatever, 
you're wearing it really so, <laughs> so you you're actually feeling it you don't have to fake that you know and so that's why it makes it slightly uh, different um and of course there's also what i was saying earlier about the the different muscles in the face and so on i think that there's some really good actors that um understand that their movements uh, have to be a little bit exaggerated so then they can be animated and they are not the subtleties that we have um when you and I are speaking and I just raise my eyebrows slightly and you see the bends in, right. the, in my forehead because I'm old now. And uh, so these type of things, animating all of that is a challenge. In volumetric video, you get that by default because you're recording things as they are. So um, so you don't have to worry about those things so much. Uh, I think so that, uh, yeah. No, no, go ahead, finish your thought. I was going to say that I think that uh, you don't need to specialize really to do volumetric. Camera. Yeah. So it seems like mocap is really more the, the the capture, obviously, of motion to drive characters that are not the person that was in that suit, whereas volumetric capture is capturing that person that you're going to then manipulate later, but it's the actual person, exactly. whatever they're wearing. Exactly, yeah. So it, in, in, it you define it perfectly. With mocap, you are basically driving another character. That character, the character might be you also, because right. they might want you to do like a fly in the sky and something that you cannot really but do. at that point it's a digital twin exactly they are capturing somebody and actually making that digital twin very realistic is a very hard job so there's a lot right. of artists that go on manually clean and so on sometimes you don't get very close close-up looks uh because it will look uh, fake so there, there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, subtleties there so that's why volumetric has a lot of a lot of space there to to grow i guess yeah um, any ethical uh, or legal considerations? I mean, you're capturing the person and then you're able to manipulate them, as you explained before, later on. Um, what are some ethical and legal? I mean, we're, you know, we're in this age of AI now that you you don't know if you are you, right? if I'm talking to the real you or the digital you, uh, you know, you can hear people say something and you don't know if that was true or not, right? Uh, anything yeah. to consider here from a filmmaker's point of view? I think that's... Um... Well, we have, of course, our concerns when we are recording people uh, that we're going to be able to take a lot of videos and process them and turn them into a 3D model, right? So this means that you are converting 2D images into 3D video and you're basically making some assumptions about the scene and so on. So there is there is the possibility that you are not 100% representing them accurately. You might get a 90, a 95, or a 99, depending on, on what type of uh, system you're using. So you have to take that into account, that you have to manipulate those images and then create a 3D model. Um, I think there's nothing extraordinary that you wouldn't have in a normal uh, film where you're actually doing VFX, because VFX actually modify also your appearance and, and things like that. So I wouldn't, wouldn't be extremely concerned just by the fact that you're recording in some cases, a hundred more times <laughs> what you are recording with one single right. normal camera. So there's a lot more data just to take into account. But um, if you're only using that for the the purposes of your capture, then I think there there's nothing to to worry about specifically from an ethical point of view. That's whatever you use your data for. Yeah. So uh, give one tip to a filmmaker that wants to do volumetric capture. Like do this. Well, give two tips. Do this, and then the other one is don't do this. <laughs> I would say, um, even though I've been pitching about the possibilities of doing both processing on the volumetric, um, try to reduce it, out, reduce it as much as possible. So you can do post-processing for creative stuff, but not to fix stuff. So try Forget to- that saying that fix it in post, don't do that. Exactly. And, and actually there's a saying in, in volumetric, which is fix it in pre. 
improving, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So instead of thinking, ah, don't worry, we will remove that stripe of hair from your forehead, then cleaning it and your edit, video editing tool. That's a huge problem because there's not that many tools that are adapted to manipulate volumetric video sequences. So it's better to dedicate a little bit more time into planning and making sure that everything that you're going to be, that you do, you do it the right way, than actually thinking, ah, no worries, we'll fix it afterwards. Because afterwards, it's going to create a lot more issues, I would say. <laughs> right. And and in terms of, uh, so I, I guess I said both. So don't do it in post. And the other thing is planning. Planning is the, is the best. Yeah. And, and most of the studios will allow you to do some tests. So come with uh, different alternatives, potentially on your outfit, you know, just in case something doesn't work. Uh, I think that nowadays almost everything works, to be honest. I mean, uh, we're, we're just trying to be safe. Uh, but I, I guess that in any case, you would always have multiple choices in terms of, uh, of clothing items and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. So what does the future hold for volumetric capture, in your opinion? I mean, you're in the middle of creating it, right? So how do you, what do you see? If, um, I was going to say five years from now, but reality, the way t technology changes, right? A year from now. Yeah, I think that uh, with a new generation of devices like uh, this new headset that uh, Apple uh, put out there and, and some of the other ones that Meta are working on, we're going to see more and more filmmaking that it's actually uh, taking into account this new medium. You know, you are now maybe totally immersed into the, an experience. Do we want to limit ourselves to, you know, the uh, 16 by 9 or do we want to actually have like a full canvas where you're totally immersed, right? So. I think that we're only at the beginning what this could be. And and I think that there's a lot of creators that are going to create experiences, that are filmmaking experiences, but that are uh, bringing you a little bit in more insight of what, what's going on. And for that, you're going to need to have, be able to record people in 3D. So I think that Volumetric is going to go from relatively niche technology that mostly people from VR, AR use and some filmmakers use to a new way of creating content. Uh, with different levels more immersive that, yeah. yeah that it's going to go from record with your smartphone to recording a massive studio but it's going to allow all kinds of creators to build new stories and, and, and tell stories in a, in a more engaging and personal way it'll be interesting to see if we're going to be we as in uh, consumers are going to use volumetric capture the way we're using an iphone camera today in the future i would say yes and that's actually what we're trying to do at volagram so we know that the volumetric studios, the high-end ones, are actually doing most of the movies. But uh, you and I are, have a camera in our pockets all the time, and we don't use that camera for filmmaking, but we use it for recording our memories to, for whatever reason that you want to use it. So we, I think that there needs to be volumetric capture in your pocket and also the one in the studio, you know, uh, yeah. the same way that uh, a camera in the pocket and a camera in the studio are not the same. Yeah, definitely. Well, Rafa... I really appreciate your time. Also, in the future, what we want to do is we want to invite, I think it's your baby. We could hear the baby that crying. So <laughs> I'm <definitely>, sorry. <laughs> not at all, not at all. Next time, we just got to make sure we bring on the baby. So, boy or girl? It's a boy. It's a boy. We got to bring him in and, you know, have to say hello to us. No, of course, not a problem at all. We, you know, <laughs> we're, we all have families and we all work from our home, right? So... Rafa, exactly. thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate it. If people uh, want to get a hold of you or learn more about Bolograms, uh, what's the best way? So you can uh, follow us on uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, on social media, at Bolograms everywhere. And you can find me also at, uh, with my, just my name. It's, it's kind of unique name, so it's easy to find me <laughs> in uh, either Twitter or LinkedIn is where I'm most active.
Yeah, definitely. Well, Rafa, thank you so much. I appreciate it. We caught it right on time because your internet seems to be stuttering now. But uh, you know what? It was just at the end. So we, we got through this interview. Thank you so much, Rafa. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And thanks to the rest of you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Filmmakers on the Cutting Edge by CreativeSpark.ai. I know I certainly did and learned quite a bit. Also, remember to check out CreativeSpark.ai for more podcast episodes and tutorials focused on cutting-edge technologies, workflows, and tools to help you be a more creative and productive filmmaker. And finally, if you're watching this on YouTube, please remember to subscribe to our channel, click the bell icon to get notified when a new episode is out, and if you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button. If you didn't, send me an email, marcelo at creativespark.ai. So we will see you on the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.